everyone, welcome to Brunch with Brent. Uh, joining me today is Alish Poli Gonzalez. Alish, how are you doing? Good, good, very good. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing great. Yeah, it's good to be connected with you. You've got a pretty neat spot. Some people might know you as the president of the board of directors at KDE, which is kind of neat. Uh, how does it feel to have had that position for what, since September, right? Yes, it's September. Well, it's good. Uh, I've been in this board of directors for five years and a half now. Uh, five years when I became a president and well, I was vice president before. And like in actual terms of the things I do, it hasn't really changed that much. Some people do see me differently, which feels a bit weird, but life goes on and we keep going. It's sort of interesting how titles can sometimes change the way we see people, even though they're they're necessarily the same person they were, you know, even a few months ago. Um, you are clearly not new to the board of directors. For those of us who aren't that familiar with how KD and the board of directors interfaces, what kind of things do you do there? How do you collaborate with other people? How is that important to the KD projects, for instance? All right. Uh, I know it's not exactly what you asked, but let me give you the distance kind of answer. Great. What is KDE? KDE started a long time ago as a desktop. It's not anymore. Nowadays, KDE is a community with tons of people that develop uh, a bunch of uh, free software projects, right? As such, KDE is a community and a community, well, cannot do certain things like, well, having money or, well, just charge for doing anything, right? So at some point, somebody created a foundation called the KDEV, uh, which is the, the thing I am president of, right? I am not president of KDE in paper and, well, in practice, but I am the president of the KDEV, which is this uh, legal organization that is based uh, in Germany around the KDE project. This organization, well, deals with um, money and certain resources that, that the association have. And well, we try to do the, the best to support uh, the project and make sure that the, that the free software gets developed as, as it should. How do we work? Well, internally, the, the board, it's, it's five people. We change every three years. And some people will have some kind of preferences and they will take these tasks more seriously. But in general, we try to like spread the, the tasks internally. We try not to like have a big hierarchy inside of, of our small team anyways. That's great. Yeah, it sounds like you really end up just playing on your strengths in that, that collaboration. And thank you for the background there. I think uh, when it comes to foundations, at least I speak for myself, I, I, it's kind of new to me learning how it all works and what pieces are necessary and how they're um, organized. So that transparency is, is really fascinating to me, really, I would say. You also have done a lot of development for KDE. You started quite a while ago. When did you start developing for KDE? And I imagine that has clearly led to where you are now. Actually, I started in KDE before I started in KDE because <laughs> I started developing an application. Well, I I don't know, it was 2004 or five, which was or is still K-Algebra, which is well, a math application, a calculator. I developed, I started developing it on my own. And at some point, well, I, 
I was reached out by KDE Edu, the education program within KDE, and they said, "Why have you considered putting the application in here?" And I put it in, right? Like my first commit was the whole application at once. <laughs> Can I just ask, what was it about um, KDE back then that was curious to you? Because you were developing this application f for yourself, as far as I understand. So how did they sort of come across it, and how did that? Uh, come about. I just wonder if that might be a helpful uh, story or anecdote for someone who might have a good idea and might want to to share it with the project. Well, back then I I was getting interested in computer science. I was just uh, starting university, and I wanted to like play around with certain technologies. So I knew I wanted to do this project. Actually, I had started to like think about it a little bit in the past. In the first versions, it even resembled a lot uh, another application I had I had been using when I was in 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 high school, and uh, there's a lot of um, topics that uh, are interesting when developing such an application like a calculator that were interesting to me, like how to write a parser and how to do the plotting properly and the three D bits and. It was more of a, I know that this was something useful to me at some point, and then it uh, allowed me to, well, test myself a little bit because, well, I was learning a lot of things because, well, that's what you do. And I needed to like put my, my learnings into something, right? And, and actually it shaped a lot how, how I learned and actually how I ended up, well, deriving professionally uh, over time. Do you find then that for you, learning has to be tied to a project, like applying that knowledge is the way that it integrates for you um, the most with the most depth. There's definitely uh, a component, like I'm not going to say it's the only way I can learn, but... <laughs> right, of course. <laughs> but if you had a preference, maybe. Uh, I'm just, uh, the reason I ask is what fascinates me is sort of how we all get to the places where we are. And I feel like, you know, if we discover or chase the the means by which we learn best, you know, sometimes that's collaboratively, sometimes that's independently, uh, th then sometimes we can get to places that are actually really great in, in making our strengths possible. So it sounds like in many ways you've found that. Yeah, for sure. Also, like a big uh, interesting part about uh, software development has is that you can do badly and the computer is going to tell you, right? So you don't have to disappoint in anyone. You can see you did wrong and then do it differently. And in the end, if you get the right result, it might not be through the well correct set of, of steps, but it's still progress to some extent. And you get to build up on that, right? Uh, so there's this feedback loop, this quick feedback loop that you get to sort of iterate on your ideas and your your projects in a way maybe that that isn't available to to other professions. Yeah, definitely. It's it's something that that was crucial to to me in 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 this in this approach. And like even now I look at the code that I started to produce back then and I'm not going to say I'm ashamed of it, but well it wasn't good. <laughs> it was of a past Elish, right? <laughs> this is present Elish. <laughs> yeah. Everything I do is from a past Elish. Right. Fair enough. <laughs> but this uh, specific past Elish wasn't that good. But that's fine, right? And I don't know. Didn't hurt anyone. 
No. And, you know, that can still be valuable work, even though it may not be at the same caliber uh, that you're at now. It has been like I've, I've been having users since the, the very beginnings and like it's been always people who like have been using the, the project for some things or others and like they have been reasonably happy. Um, so, well, there's that, right? <laughs> That's important. How have you seen those users change in the last, you know, woof, 10 years or so? Does it feel like the community has shifted or changed or, or grown in some ways? Well, in the end, uh, when you get users, you get users for the things you have, right? Like they might ask you, I, I would like to have this thing or this other thing, but in the end, what they reach out to you about is about the present. So they don't really change that much. In general, when a user reaches out to you, the process is, hey, I've been using this project. It's kind of nice, I guess. But, and then they explain <laughs> you uh, the, pro the, the problem. That's by email. That's when they reach you out by email. When they reach you out by backtracking system or uh, chat, it they remove the pleasantries and they go directly to the problem. But yeah, it's it's hard to tell if, if people change. I mean, people have definitely changed, right? Also, the competing op uh, alternatives uh, to what I've been doing have also exploded in, in several ways. So that also has an impact. Do you find that user feedback to be exhausting in some ways? Because um, it sounds like a never-ending flow of you know, people suggesting things are wrong. I mean, they, they often have the right intentions in mind of trying to improve and to help find bugs and things like that. Definitely, it's one of the hot topics in, in free software, and it has been for years. And essential, really. In free software, we're very open and we're very exposed as developers to what people want and to their, their demands. And actually, I would say it's one of the um, selling points of free software, right? Like you can talk to people or you can get someone and convince them to fix something and they do it, right? So there's no barrier between between user and and the creation. But on the other hand, I uh, you need to find ways to, to shield yourself sometimes because, well, some people have fun being hurtful. Mm. I mean, I've been around for a long time, so it does it means that it hasn't broken me but i know many people who have gotten broken by that and it's it's really a sad part of the whole process right that because it potentially means that we lose good people well not potentially like literally means right do you have any advice either for the person on the development side, you know, the receiving side or for the people on the giving side, you know, that are that are reaching out with some of these bugs and things? Be nice would be definitely uh, number one thing, right? Or be empathetic, at least remember that you're talking to people. I guess that um, in the... I would say normal world, we're used to like so many layers of, of communication that you have to try to make an impact so that your demands go through a hierarchy or several steps. And in free software, that is not the case, right? And you like see people, well, reporting bugs or on mailing lists, demanding people to work for them because, um, and this is, is 
hurtful, not being hurtful, being positive, being engaging, uh, explaining why something is a problem for you and how, while it's a problem for you, like the wall is not going to end. It's always a good way to contextualize this, this kind of problematic, I would say. Yeah, I think two things that stood out there for me uh, in that advice you just gave was empathy was the first one, because I've encountered very few situations where empathy is not a helpful trait. Uh, And also just being collaborative. You know, if you discover a problem or you would like something fixed or integrated, uh, I think it sounds like the collaborative approach, if if the software developer is open to that, uh, sounds really beneficial for everyone. As the person who found the bug, you might get some insight into what the project is dealing with or or where that sits as a priority. And as the, the developer, you might get someone who can really make a difference and perhaps a future contributor too. Every project that I've, I've worked on, I've had a couple of, well, I would say maybe power users or, well, people who will go all the way to help you solve the bugs. And like when bug report is properly reported, it's so much easier and faster to, to solve, right? Um, and this is something we need to, to remind ourselves. It's not about like being the loudest, but also as a developer, be it free software or not, that doesn't matter. You have an amount of time that you're, you're going to have to spend into solving a problem. If this is less, it's more likely that you will be able to do it, right? Mm, right. So there's a big difference between a bug report that says my application exploded and a bug report that says when I do exactly these steps, my application explodes or I get this error message or here's a, a bug trace with proper debug symbols or not. And obviously there's a learning curve for the reporter and we cannot expect everyone to go all the way there because we all have other things to do than well reporting bugs but if you really care about something and can spend uh, some time into solving it i think that it's it's a nice idea to do so because you're not like solving it only for yourself which you are but you're solving it for everyone and actually the whole solving it for everyone is one of the nice things about life, right? <laughs> yeah, one of the strengths of open source, I think, and maybe the reason that many of us are part of it is that it feels like a collective good that we're doing for the world. Well, it doesn't feel it. It actually is, right? <laughs> there, you catch me again. <laughs> part of the problem that <laughs> that uh, a, a big part of the world doesn't want to like make use of it, but uh, when they do, they're going to love it. Yeah, I, I came across some stats, and of course, there are many sources of these kind of things, but, but KDE itself, which, you know, that includes a lot of different pieces of software, but I think they were suggesting Plasma in this case, um, like as, as, as far as I read, being used heavily in Turkey, in the Turkish government, everywhere from their armed forces, Ministry of Foreign Affairs and National Defense, the police. It has been used at CERN quite a bit. In Germany, I believe, they have something like 11,000 systems running it, uh, used in a NASA Mars mission, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that doesn't mention the desktop users either. Um, but how does it feel for you to be kind of have your thumb on or, or be touching uh, so many users with the work that you're doing? 
Well, one of the complex things about uh, how we've been conducting free software, and actually it's been one of the turning points of KDE, is actually the whole defining a vision and like who are you making your your software for. In general, I haven't been thinking about like what will happen when <laughs> this change happens in uh, NASA or I don't know. CERN, etc. Right? Like you think, how do I fix this problem? And then when you talk to the different organizations as a president or as a representative of the community, well, then you realize that that this this software is actually being used in all of these places. I mean, actually, most of the time we don't even know that that this is is happening. Of course, <laughs> one of the challenges, really. Yeah, we only learn through well chance right like these announcements that like they show a screenshot of somebody working and like you see oh they're using uh, plasma or they're using linux or they're using krita right it's uh, more uh, anecdotal in practice than, than than actually it should be right i would like to be talking more to these organizations and learning more about the the, the, the problems they had but communication is something that um well, is expensive to humanity, I guess, and and it shows. I remember having uh, long conversations about that with uh, somebody uh, from Brazil. Like, I think it was around 2010, there was a big deployment of uh, KD software in Brazil. Well, I was the maintainer, actually still am, of KD Edu, and I was telling her, well, how is it that you have so many millions of people running our software, running our applications, but then we don't get back reports for, for this software, right? Like, is everything we make perfect? <laughs> and she didn't say yes. She said, well, teachers uh, will probably not know how to report properly or their English might not be great. I mean, there were reasons why this didn't happen, right? But in practice, we had, uh, well, millions of users over there. I don't know if we still have, but uh, the conclusions that they created didn't really reach out to humanity, which is a bit uh, sad in this regard. But then you realize how it makes a huge difference when the involved people understand pre-software properly. We hear very often about how organizations might be adopting free software or open source solutions. But when there's randomly people who have been involved in the movement, in the in the communities, in and have the know-how, the experience will flow much more well beautifully for, for both parts. And I think that this is uh, really nice when it happens. Yeah, the big question I suppose is how do you encourage it to happen more? I don't know what that answer is. I mean, I know that KDE has a problem and probably the Linux desktop does, but like, how do you make sure that people can stay around it and be professional about it, right? The money flow is uh, a bit spotty and not very clear. Like, we don't have very clear business models either. And it does have its advantages. We're not really governed by evil cor corporations or well, good corporations, we're not <laughs> just led by corporations, but on the other hand, there's people who, well, to, to leave, they have to um, 
work on something else and well that's not ideal right yeah i mean that is the challenge isn't it how do you how do you keep the good people around or allow them to work on the things that they actually feel really empowered to be working on like free software for many of us we have done a lot just to just through our hearts right so how do you keep those people around uh, when they need to feed their families and and pay the rent and all of that some of us are lucky enough to be able to do it like this is my case so i feel a bit bad talking about this problematic when i don't have this problem while this is a problem it also has the advantage that you have when all these big super corporations because there's super good free software developers around, right? Like a lot of the best free software, de- uh, well, the best develop of the developers that you will find in the market, well, did open source at some point because it's a great way to become a good professional. So you will have really senior people in the biggest corporations that uh, well, have uh, an open source background and they know how it works. And well, this links back a bit with what we were discussing before. You know, those end up being proponents of free software in some of those larger corporations around the world. So it sounds like a benefit as well in some ways. Yeah, it's a matter of uh, people wanting to keeping the flame alive, right? Yeah, right. It's always a balance. Um, You did mention that you're lucky enough to be sponsored to be working on KDE full time. Can you talk about that a little bit? I had been working when I was at university doing free software stuff. I did some contracting. I did uh, Google Summer of Code, which was nice. But when I was finishing university and I was doing my master's thesis, I kind of wanted to continue doing it, but I didn't really know where to look at. And what happened back then was that I saw a tweet, someone saying, uh, I am looking for KDE developers, contact me. And I did. It was by who nowadays is my my boss. But, uh, well, nobody really knew them back then. I actually was the first employee in Blue Systems. And it was all very weird and spotty. But uh, I came through with it because I had to look for a job anyway. I actually was looking already. I was, I had to like start, uh, well, I was finishing university in a month. So I didn't really have that much margin or I didn't want to give me that much margin anyway. So um, I said, hi, we had a conversation on an IRC channel. It seemed to work. I did the first project and then we started creating more things and the team started growing and it was less weird and spotty and it was more like, okay, we're we're doing KDE now, which uh, was a very good thing because uh, we hadn't had that many uh, businesses back then uh, caring about certain parts of our code base. And we definitely had the opportunity of doing a lot of really cool stuff and we still do. That's great. And, and so originally for, for blue systems that you're talking about, what was their incentive to, um, increase or at least sponsor someone to work on KDE software? Cause that doesn't seem necessarily like, uh, the standard approach. So why was that important to them and why is it still important? Um, my boss had, has, a distribution called Netrunner Linux, and he wanted to improve the GTK application integration. That was my first assignment, actually. 
Kid knew he would want more over time, right? But that was the first thing we discussed, at least. And he had the money to to hire me. So well, that that helps. <laughs> I mean, I I guess that all of us, if we had like a half a million budget every year to like get people to do stuff for us, we would get to be creative in our own ways, right? Yeah. You get all your bugs solved pretty quickly if uh, if you had that kind of um, incentive, let's call it. But that is a really nice way for people to encourage some creativity in work and to encourage some work on, on open source software is if they if they have a need is to sponsor that work instead of just, for instance, like we were talking about earlier, just sending a bug tracker out there and hoping for the best. You know, it sounds like sponsoring a specific project to do a specific something that would help everybody seems like quite the gift really i myself feel very lucky that we that i had or and we had these this opportunity and still do it's a touchy topic it's it's complex because there's a lot of um well discussions that come to the table and i think that one of the best things that blue system has and blue systems has been able to to push for is that we have been doing a lot of work to just improve Plasma, improve KDE in many ways, but like with not with a very hands-on kind of uh, way, but just actually making it better, right? And making it better for everyone. And actually like a lot of these developments that we did, for example, to improve um, Netrunner Linux or some issues that uh, have been uh, arranged in the past, they have had an impact on well on certain developers right or or in development or in 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 nasa or wherever right a little bit everywhere but you don't always know where <laughs> can i talk to you a little bit about conferences i know maybe that's a touchy subject these days too but um you've been involved in a few conferences um clearly as an attendee, but also um, a little bit on the back end. Uh, one of those, I believe, is the Linux App Summit. You've had your um, your thumb in there. You've been collaborating with some neat people over the years there. Um, can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, for sure. Um, I was to uh, the Libra App Summit that Gnome organized in Denver a couple of years ago. Actually, I had uh, started talking to Sri about it for the year earlier, where they had the, the first one. Just to mention quickly, that's Sri Ramkrishna of Gnome fame. Go on. It didn't happen in the end because logistics more than better reasons. But the year after, uh, I went there. I, I talked a lot with him, with uh, Noritsi. Uh, I believe, and I am not the only one to believe that Linux has a lot of value in in the well end user space. Um, to strengthen this value, you need to well make sure that people can join and join in and collaborate and do it in a in a platform level, right? Like they don't need to well respond to anyone. We can tell everyone like just join KDE and do your thing, right? But I don't know, Spotify is not gonna do that or Firefox, right? They want to do their thing and we need to actually be able to work together to offer something, the ones who we are doing it. So we decided to work more closely and last year we did it uh, together with GNOME. We actually changed from Libre App Summit to Linux App Summit, which I think it's an interesting development. And in the end, it was a lot about um, 
welding it together. In this in this case, I also ended up being the organizer because I've been also uh, doing Barcelona Office Software, which is the organization that ended up uh, organizing the event locally, so to speak. So that was my involvement over there as well. Besides doing a bunch of stuff in the organization team. So it sounds like your previous connections with uh, the group in Barcelona um, helped with making this possible and is continuing to help with collaborations throughout, which sounds really positive, really exciting, and really quite important too. We're looking into doing 2020 right now, which, like you said, is a bit delicate. A bit delicate. That's a nice way to put it. Yeah. But um, I think that uh, there's a nice chance of doing it properly. And yeah, I'm excited. Do you feel like, and, and, and I know it's early days and you may not know, but I would imagine that means looking at how to do the conference a little bit differently, maybe with some different technologies and uh, reaching some different people to make it possible? We're going to definitely look into the different alternatives. Uh, I can say we have a plan A and a plan B. So we will do our best. I think that there's a lot of, uh, of value in putting people together physically. And I mean, yeah, they can share viruses then. <laughs> we don't want to put people at risk. If we feel that this is the, the case, then we won't. And actually, if, if you think about it a little bit, it's kind of what separates some projects from others, right? Uh, when you get to talk to people, when you get to like discuss things over a meal or a drink, the, the, the connection, the interaction that you have is, is at, a, at a different level. And I think that it's essential to be able to enforce it. We've been doing it as KDE through our conference, which is called Academy. And like every community is doing that and have been doing it for, for decades, right? Uh, NOM has, Wadek, Linux Foundation has a ton of events, uh, Firefox, Docker, everyone. And it's, it's about, uh, well, bringing people together and making making sure that they humanize their their teammates when when they do so, which is related to what we were discussing earlier about empath empathizing with who you report your problems to, and when working in a community, well, you have this kind of problem, but ten times bigger because it's not about somebody who just had the idea that a problem is solving, but like you're working with somebody and you need to know what he feels where he stands in life and doing it in person is a whole different deal you know you mentioned naritzi who i had a conversation with uh, here on brunch with brent uh, I, I guess a few weeks ago and she mentioned the same thing of how the face-to-face -face is essential in the open source communities and and anywhere really uh, and and I think you said it really well when you mentioned humanizing people uh, I think often maybe that's one side effect of the beauty that is the internet which is that sometimes we forget there's a person on the other side of any message um, and so bringing empathy to that and remembering that sounds really important but it never really gets communicated in the same way as when you meet someone in person. So I imagine that will be a continuous challenge for all of us this year, but hopefully it doesn't impact too much and we can get back to it somehow. 
we will have to find alternatives. In SKD, we have, for example, already canceled uh, a number of sprints. One of the big things that uh, SKD V we do is uh, sponsor meeting of the different teams so that they can discuss, like we said, in person, different, more specific topics that, well, Academy, they won't have, they will probably not have the time or even the attention to be able to, to look into them, but they're still important, right? And we need to find ways so that these, these teams can, can work together and do things together that they couldn't because, well, the current state of things, because coronavirus. So, um, it's not to disregard the, the alternatives and we will have to invest in them. And actually there's a lot to win, like not only because of infections, but well, for example, for climate, right? Like it's not very healthy to be uh, flying people all, all, all around the world, uh, well, yearly or monthly, right? Maybe we can do better there. I don't know. Hmm. So it allows us in a way to pause and look at what we were doing and see the benefits of it, but also the challenges. Sounds like there's an opportunity here. Telematic communication is inherently rather cold. Like if we were having this conversation we're having right now in text, it would be probably, well, more boring. Very different. <laughs> and it's still telematic, right? But for example, I have this friend, like he has been doing KD since long time and everybody, when he meets him for the first time, they say, you're much nicer than I expected you to be, right? And he's a super nice person. Well, emails, chats can be cold over time. And especially when people are trying to like do good and sometimes you have to say no to people, right? And and to tell them this thing you really wanted to do and you were excited about and you even spent some hours this this no, right? Yeah, I find you know, one thing that's been suggested is to increase the number of, uh, and, and Heather, uh, who I had a chat with as well, who's a friend of yours, Heather Ellsworth, uh, she mentioned uh, increasing the number of coffee chats that she does. And uh, those are kind of the at a distance um, voice or video chats you can do with people around the world that you know. And I know that that seems inefficient, you know, voice and chatting in real time is sort of inefficient if you look at the flow of information compared to text, for instance, uh, because you both have to be in the same place at the same time. And uh, some people, uh, you know, the, maybe conversations just just take a little longer. But I, I really feel and, and that's sort of the crux of these conversations that we're recording right now. But they're so valuable and and we're not looking for purely just information transfer. There's connection, there is empathy that gets improved. There's like, you, you end up diving into topics that you otherwise never would have imagined you'd connect on. So uh, I would encourage everyone to, to see if you can do that, reach out to some people and, and connect via voice. Uh, you know, we're, 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 there's so much software to do it. So that, that seems like we could all benefit from that. I agree. I completely agree. Uh, can I ask you a question if you have anything uh, that you would like to send out to the community? Maybe an ask of the community, something you'd like them to try or go see, something to think about? Well, in general, I, I would recommend everyone to 
think about, especially when thinking about free software, where they fit and try to see if they are doing what they wanted to do, right? Like if what you want to do is, for example, well, be a user, are you treating the like the developers in the bug reports like like you expected? What do you think that the others will be uh, getting from your interaction from them, or should they? Uh, something that happens often is users knowing that their problems are important. They assume that everybody knows that the problem is happening, right? But uh, that's always not the case. So. If you want this problem solved, well, don't get the anger bottled up inside of yourself and, well, get it out with control and a smile on your face or <laughs> fingertips. If uh, your position in the community, for example, is to uh, do outreach, for example, well, be mindful of what your reach actually is. Something I found very interesting from from my, my my involvement, for example, in Barcelona Office Software is that we have been doing a lot of vertical, so to speak, um, outreach, like in KDE, we do a lot of stuff like worldwide, right? And GNOME does and Linux Foundation does and LibreOffice. But uh, at the local level, it's like a whole different dimension and a lot of the things we do, while it might might, might be reaching, well, thousands of people, it doesn't reach the, the, the people locally because, well, thousands actually in wall scale is is tiny so um i think that thinking in terms of of what is the local impact uh of of free software it's 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 interesting and it's something that all of us we can we, we can do a little bit more of uh i i have personally looked these at a like a two-dimension kind of thing like it's important to be able to create great products that are free software but then you also need to like go locally to people and see what they need and offer it to them. And actually that's why we ended up creating Barcelona Free Software. And I believe that every city should have their own uh, city free software, right? Because each city council, how are you gonna reach each, um, well, company doing uh, software? Yeah, uh, tell me a little bit more about Barcelona Free Software. We didn't quite touch on it earlier, but it sounds like it's a nice local uh, community that is really beneficial for you. A few years ago, we started with actually KD Spain. I started in KD Spain when I was just starting in KDE because somebody said, we're creating this thing, are you in? And I said, sure. <laughs> I actually was not really sure what I was getting into. Sometimes those are the best things. <laughs> It, it was quite interesting to uh, think of the organizational problems that um, free software has, but uh, at a different scale. I was there the, on the on the board for eight years. Uh, I was the president for four, and then I I went to the KDV, which well I had the impression that it would feel more like I'm doing the same, but uh, at a higher level, if you wish. And then um, we had quite a bit of people from KD Spain doing things in Barcelona. So we said, how about we do something like KD Barcelona, which felt a bit wrong and oddly specific. So 
<laughs> yeah, we said, let's do personal office software. Let's talk to uh, the the people. Like we knew that ha- that people had been doing free software in in my country, in in Catalonia at large, if you want, uh, for well, since forever. But we didn't have like this uh, personal, humanized interaction with them. We knew where to find them. That there are different organizations, but. It doesn't make a lot of sense that I had been doing free software for 10 years and people around us didn't know me, didn't know us, right? Or that it was happening. So we started doing a monthly meetup, which we've been doing since with different projects. And actually, one would think, well, projects are going to finish one day or another, but they really don't. Like, you have a to-do list of 20 possible talks that we could be doing, and it doesn't really seem to end. And it does give me some kind of very interesting other perspective of, of free software, right? Like, how do, do these all these really supposedly great advantages that we're putting on the table affect the the people right we did have very open source prone um government in barcelona specifically in the city council and we did get to talk to quite a bit of politicians and well we got we got to hear the things that we wanted to hear and then we got to not hear the things we wanted to hear which was a bit disappointing in the end but yeah we were there and we did our best but it sounds like those are the efforts to try to share free and open source software that you can only do on the ground, sort of talking to people. You know, if you're if you're trying to reach reach counselors and things um, via the internet, it's definitely not as powerful, and you don't get that feedback as well. So yeah, that sounds really important. The interesting thing is to actually end up talking to the engineer in the different organizations, right? Like you can talk to the polit- the politician and he will talk to you about commitments and about how it's impossible to do or not, or even they want to do it. Like for example, in the city council case, what I got in the end was the engineers telling me, ooh, the politicians, they are keeping us from doing this whole Linux thing, but it's awesome. And on the other hand, I was talking to politicians. So I was talking to the engineers as KDE because they were using Plasma on their systems. And I found uh, one of the engineers that reported about report. And <laughs> I sent him an email and I, I went all the way as, well, the back vice, vice president back then. But uh, I was also the coordinator of personal office software and I was in touch with the politicians. And the politicians were telling me, oh yeah, the engineers, I mean, we tell them to go Linux, but they give all of us all of these problems that it was uh, frustrating because they were blaming each other. And <laughs> the only conclusion was that, well, nobody did anything. Or, I mean, they did some things, just not the things I hoped for. It sounds like a communication problem, right? Communication is expensive, like you said. <laughs> well, Alish, uh, thank you so much for joining me. If people wanted to get in contact with you, where would they reach you? You can reach me my email, for example, it's Alej Paul. I would say you write it as you hear it, but if you're an English speaker, that doesn't apply. <laughs> yes. I guess you can put it in the description or something. Yeah, it's definitely in the show notes for sure. We'll, we'll, we'll share it there. My name and my family name uh, at kd.org is the same uh, on Twitter, on, I don't know, Facebook, LinkedIn. 
I don't really use these that much anymore, but they're they're there. Well, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciated this conversation. Yeah, thank you for for having me and for the talk. It was really nice. Great. Yeah, let's uh, let's chat again soon. <laughs>